You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology Spotlight podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. Welcome to this Talking Rheumatology Spotlight. I'm Pip Watson, Room Consultant and BSR Digital Learning Editor. I'm delighted to be joined for this Spotlight pod by Eileen Tan, an Associate Professor and Honorary Consultant at Chapel Allerton Hospital, Leeds, and Editor-in-Chief of the BSR Rheumatology Advances in Practice Journal, and Caroline Groves, our Journal Development Manager at BSR. In this pod, we're going to cover everything you need to know to write a great case report, which can be a good way to start your publishing career. Caroline, if I could start with you, what do we mean by a case report? So, I think fundamentally a case report is a quite detailed write-up of a medical problem experienced by um, one or more patients. So it's a report that should have medical or educational value for the community. Um, and then for our journals more specifically, they're you know, short letters to the editors detailing an interesting case um, and we're looking for a really good, clear learning message. Thank you. And why do journals publish them? So I think case reports form a really important part of the evidence base. Um, And I think when someone's doing, say, you know, a systematic literature review, while case reports are scored maybe towards the lower um, end of the evidence scale, they actually form really important part of of real world data. Um, And I think, you know, if you have enough cases identifying a particular um, topic or phenomenon, it can go on to sort of trigger more research in that area. Maybe it comes on eventually to a clinical trial and a change in practice. So, yeah, I think they're a really important part of, of the evidence base. Thank you. And Eileen, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add, but certainly as a clinician, I find them quite useful if I'm managing an unusual case or something quite rare. And you find a case report, it's really, really helpful, isn't it, to know that someone's had something similar and shared their experience? Absolutely, as Caroline described. I think um one of the key things with case reports um, and, and publishing it in journals is that it offers some learning points um, or learning messages. Um, and the, the cases often are unusual, novel, interesting, unexpected, or even rare cases. Um, and, and as a result of that, there is a need to highlight and, and make people aware of these cases and the learning points that come out of them. Um, they often include um, diagnostic dilemmas unusual anatomy um, or even a variety of clinical presentations that we don't often see. Um, And sometimes you find new findings from um, routine therapies that we use. Um, So these are very useful to report so that others can learn from what we've gone through. And some others like cases that mimic other cases often causes a lot of diagnostic dilemmas and confusions arises. And um, And sometimes they present similarly to other diagnoses, which may lead to diagnose delays. So therefore, I think reporting such cases will help the the medical community. Absolutely. Thank you. And if we have any medical students or trainees out there listening, um, do you have any advice for them on how they might go about finding a good case? Yeah, so I think being on high alert is is probably the first thing. Um, Often, I guess, you want to look for cases that can be often complex and result in a lot of clinical discussions. 
um, and often multi-specialty involvement um, suggests that there is um, a complexity to the case that might offer some learning points. Um, so I think these cases are often obviously on the wards or even in clinics um, and just be on high alert and look out for such cases because then you, you can start thinking, is there some learning that I can share with other people? Thank you. That's a great tip. Caroline, did you want to come in? I think it's a really nice point you made, though, Pip, about um, trainees and students, because I think case reports are just the perfect thing to try when you want to dip your toe into academic publishing. You know, it's not necessarily about having really extensive research skills or um, being part of a, a unit that's really um, actively involved in research, but it's it's about drawing on your existing um, clinical knowledge and expertise. So it's a fantastic way to get started in um, in research and publishing. That's a really good point. And I, I think the other thing I'd suggest is, and I did this when I was a trainee, is just reaching out to someone if you're interested, because often people will have cases that are interesting and in that, that they sort of logged in their mind, but maybe they've not had the time or the inclination for whatever reason to write them up. So sometimes approaching somebody and they'll actually be like, oh, great, brilliant. I've been waiting for this for this moment for someone to help me get this message out there. So so that can also also work really well. And how about choosing a journal, Caroline? Do you have any tips for how, how people might go about doing that? Sure. I mean, it sounds really obvious, but the first thing, check that the journal you're looking at actually does publish case reports because they don't all publish case reports. Um, you know, how to do, but go and have a look at the author guidelines. Just double check that to make sure you're not, you know, wasting your time submitting. Um, and then I think it's really important to kind of identify the at risk of sounding like I'm on The Apprentice, the, the unique selling point of your case. Um, so why have you actually written it and what what point are you trying to get across to the reader? Because that can kind of then guide what sort of journal is, is most relevant for you to submit to. Um, if it's the case that your sort of USP is that it's really, really um, a novel case and it's the first report of this particular, you know, phenomenon or, you know, whatever it is, then you can look towards a, a higher impact journal. Um, whereas if it's more something that's already known, but it's a really good reminder and a really clear educational message, um, it's not that it's not worth publishing at all because it definitely is it's just you might consider a, a slightly less high impact um, journal it's about just just finding the right home for your your case report and your your key message thank you and if someone's thinking of submitting what are the sort of timelines that they might expect in terms of getting a decision and if their um, manuscript is accepted get getting it actually published and seeing their their name in print I think this is actually a really hard question because there are sort of so many moving parts and it's it's a bit subjective. Um, so for us, we would try to get you a, a first decision on your manuscript probably within four to six weeks, I would say. Um, then you'll likely have a bit of time to revise your paper. So the reviewers probably would have given you some some comments to think about. Um, maybe they've asked you whether you've done a particular diagnostic test or maybe they ask you to expand your discussion a little bit and consider some, some wider literature. Um, so you have some time to revise. It will come back through us for peer review again. Um, once the manuscript's accepted, uh, we would have it online initially, usually within two weeks of signing your 
publication license and then usually it'll be properly um you know finalized it will be all lovely and typeset and and look um, really really professional usually around the six week mark after that that's really helpful thank you so it, do, it does take a bit of time doesn't it which I think it, it's helpful for people to understand so it's certainly not an instantaneous process is it no <laughs> it's not but I will say you know always feel free to contact the editorial office if you're concerned that you haven't heard anything about your paper and um, we're always really happy to help you so that's certainly been my experience or if you're not sure about submitting something or whether it fits the rules it's really helpful sometimes just to reach out for guidance isn't it rather than sort of wasting anyone's time Thank you. That's really helpful. I wonder, Eileen, if we could talk a little bit about authorship next, please. What what could you tell us about that? Um, so authorship for a case report um, could pretty much include um, any members of the patient's care team. Um, and as Caroline had mentioned, um, for anyone who wanted to dip their toes into publication or publish publishing their first um, article, um, this is a great opportunity. So often these this tends to be the junior member of the team, um, maybe a trainee, and they would be in a position to lead the write-up and um, supported by the consultant um, for the team, perhaps. You can ask any consultant. I think they are, they would be more than happy to guide you with writing up a, a case report. So once the case is identified, um, discussion with the consultant regarding um, how to write it, um, particularly if this is your first case report, will be a good idea. And anyone in the team who then contributes towards the case report, so for example, collating the clinical data, writing up, interpreting the results and, and what the implication of the case is, all of whom would be suitable to be an author. So therefore, it can be a, a few people who are on the authorship, although typically for a case report, there, there are not very many authors. Nevertheless, because there are a number of people, it'd be good just to make sure that um, everybody who's eligible to be an author actually knows that they're an author. And, and also, um, this is common good practice for most manuscript writing is to ensure that everybody understands and are happy with the order of how they appear on the author's list as well. That's really clear. Thank you very much. Um, and I think it'll be useful just to talk a little bit about consent as well, if that's all right. So do you need consent for a case report? Absolutely. Um, I think for the main reason that often case reports do um, describe quite detailed case scenarios. And so um, the patient um, would need to know why it's written and what's going to be included. And therefore, it will be good practice to explain to the patient about um, the publication and the details involved and seek their consent in the written format. So most journals would be able to have a guidance towards how to do this. And there would be a standard consent form that you'll be able to um, work with a patient to get their consent. And do you have any tips for people on sort of doing that in practice in terms of approaching patients? Is that something that you find generally relatively easy to do? Surprisingly, I think it is relatively easy because most people would be more than happy to share their details. So I think that the first thing to do is just obviously um, approach the patient and speak with them 
explain why their clinical presentation and treatment has important learning points for the wider community, medical community, um, and therefore why um, they would like to write a report and get it published, um, and maybe even explain which journals it's aimed for and what the remit of the journal and who the readers are. That would help the patient understand um, where where their case is going to to be highlighted, um, and and just allow the patient to ask any questions and and explain in detail um, what's going to happen. And and most people are very happy to share their details because obviously this is for the greater benefit of the medical community. And and then as as I mentioned, there will be a written consent form that they would sign up to, and these often needs to be included in the submission as well. Thank you. That's really helpful. And that's very much been my experience that patients have been really pleased to sort of share their uh, the learning from their cases, especially if it's taken them a while to get to a diagnosis, which is often the case, isn't it? If it's something that's relatively rare and, and interesting, as these cases often are. Um, Caroline, I wondered whether you could perhaps tell us a little bit about the care guideline, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so the care guideline is a reporting guideline, kind of similar to the Prisma checklist. If it's, you know, you've done a systematic review, usually you would use Prisma. And it's basically a really nice step by step checklist that guides you through everything that you should include or at least consider including um, in your case report. So it, it really helps you uh, make sure that your reporting is, is accurate and, and genuinely helpful and useful for readers. So I would say you could probably use it at two points of the process in particular. Firstly, before you start writing, um, it's a good idea to look through the checklist and check that you don't have any sort of really glaring missing information that you need to go and find before you start writing. And also then you can use the checklist actually to, to guide um, your points as you write. So, yeah, a really helpful tool. Would definitely recommend checking that out. Thank you. And I wonder if you might just give us a, a brief overview of the sections that you'd recommend, including in a case report. Yeah, sure, definitely. So before you start writing, make sure you've organised your case notes, make sure that they're you know, in chronological order. And again, check you don't have any really key information that's missing. And then you want to kind of start by setting the scene of your, your case. So you want to sort of describe or explain the unique selling point that you've hopefully already thought about when you're considering whether to write it. You want to introduce your patient using kind of de-identified information like age, sex, presentation, notable history. But really make sure you're keeping it relevant to the case that you're reporting. You know, don't start talking about their job if it's not relevant to the case. You want to describe the results of your diagnostic assessments, so any physical exams, blood work, patient questionnaires, things like that. You want to talk about then the diagnosis that you made and the rationale behind that. So that could include talking about any challenges you faced when it comes to um, actually finding the diagnosis and any other diagnoses that you considered and why you ruled them out. You want to look at treatment course in chronological order and you want to include details here. So things like dose, frequency, duration of treatment um, and any changes in intervention and why you made those changes. Then sort of finally, in that point of describing the case, you want to look at patient follow up. So hopefully with your case, you've been able to follow up your patient and um, look at sort of clinician assessed outcomes, but also hopefully some patient um, assessed outcomes would be great as well. And then sort of by that point, you've 
you should have described your case really thoroughly. But it's then important to start putting your work into the context of the wider literature. So think about sort of strengths and limitations of your case. Did you have diagnostic uncertainty? Were there confounding factors? You know, what were the challenges that you came across? And then it's a good idea to compare your case to other published cases or other um, sort of prior research. Is it in line with those? Were there significant differences? Um, And make sure you're using references to support those as well. I think actually one of the most important things when writing your case report, and it's almost the one lesson that I, I would hope listeners take away from this, for me anyway, is to really make sure you're picking a good title for your case report. You know, you can you can write the most detailed, scientifically useful case report in the world. But if you then, you know, slap on a really ambiguous title, it's not going to be found. People won't find it to read it. It's something we do, you know, with Eileen and our other editor as well. We we look through our journal stats on a yearly basis and we find that um, often case reports with, with an ambiguous title just aren't read and they just aren't cited. Um, so it's almost wasting the work that you've put in if it's not then going on to help and to influence the medical community. So for a good title, aim to include your diagnosis really clearly and try to include um, sort of an aspect of that that key um, that unique selling point of your case and yeah avoid avoid ambiguity you know try not to write a lupus a case about a lupus mimic and just call it you know a wolf in sheep's clothing or something like that because <laughs> no one's going to be searching for that and no one's going to find it so while it's a, it's a fun title it's not necessarily useful in terms of long-term discoverability and I think that's a that's a really key thing to to take away. I think, Caroline, that's an absolutely brilliant tip. I think that that's so um, underrated in terms of what you actually um, the effort you put into making sure what your title says and then how it how it describes the case. Um, I'd also uh, like to add that after a great case, as Caroline described the description, um, the learning point is very important as well, because the reason why most of these case reports are written is so that other that the readers can learn something from these unusual scenarios. And um, so you may be able to describe in detail very good description of the case, but if you just end there, it doesn't serve any purpose other than, yeah, that's interesting. So therefore, the final paragraph should have some learning points or at least a, a good scientific question that might get people thinking about what next. So I think um, that's equally important. That's really helpful. Thank you both. I just wanted to speak a little bit about figures and tables. Um, how many would you usually include and any sort of tips for getting the most out of these? Yes. So um, for our journals, you can include one figure or table in the main text of your case report, although you can add additional figures and tables in your supplementary material if you want to. I think the key thing to consider is whether your figure and table is actually useful for the readers. I think there's it's very tempting, isn't it, to add a nice bright figure just because it adds visual interest. But if it's not actually useful, it doesn't doesn't need to be there. And there are loads and loads of, of really great ways to use figures and tables. So it doesn't just have to be, you know, photographs or clinical imaging. One of my personal favourite things that I see in case reports is when the authors have created like a really nice timeline of events. And you can see, you know, each point. So you can see like each 
treatment administered. You can see when the diagnosis was made. Maybe there was a change in diagnosis partway through. Maybe there were adverse events. You know, whatever it is, it's it's a figure that you can imagine readers actually referring to while they're looking through your case report. And I think that's great. And then I think the th key thing with tables is just to make sure that you're not repeating too much information. So if you're, you know, you've got um, sort of the key patient characteristics or diagnostic results in the main text, you don't need to then just repeat them in a table. I think they work best when you're using them to compare your case to other cases, whether that's in you know your own case series or you're taking information from other published cases um, and comparing those in a table. So those would be my my top tips. That's brilliant. Thank you both. I wonder if either of you have any sort of final words of wisdom or tips for our listeners before we finish. Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess mine would be that once you've written your brilliant case and your learning points on the case, read through it and make sure that um, if you, you have to imagine somebody reading it and have, would they have been asking questions about what about this test or that results, for example, and make sure that you cover all angles in, in that area. And, and I think um, you want to think about how you're going to leave the reader satisfied reading your case report, either with a, a learning uh, outcome or, or further scientific question um, and, and to avoid them feeling frustrated if they read the case and think, oh, this is a great description. So what? So get rid of that. So what question? Um, make sure your case absolutely uh, completes, completely satisfies the reader in that way. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I think one thing to say as well is don't worry and don't give up if you're not accepted by your first choice journal. You know, journals often have a really low acceptance rate, you know, 15, 20 percent. That's a lot of papers that are not making the cut for that particular journal. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a journal that would really, really love and appreciate the opportunity to publish your work. So if you're rejected, don't worry. Think about any comments you've got from the reviewers or from the journal. Make any changes and then try again. You'll you'll get there. You'll find a, a find a journal that that will publish, um, and it will be a, a really nice achievement for you. Those are great tips. Thank you both so much. And I think almost anyone who's been published has been rejected, haven't they? Often on many many occasions. So absolutely, don't don't be afraid of rejection, and and, and keep trying, and and you will get there. So thank you both so much for for your time today. And my take home messages are really that writing a case report is a really good way to open your publishing account. It's something journals are really interested in. Publishing can be really useful for the sort of wider community. And there's lots and lots of guidance for us on how to how to do this. If anyone would like any more detailed guidance, please do check out the episode summary as we do have some e-learning that you can access, which will give you some even more information. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology Spotlight, brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.